This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. As I was driving to work today, I thought of the story that I had read in the news that today is the day that five of 35 new speed enforcement cameras are being activated. These are at these uh, identified high-risk intersections, 35 of them all over the province. There will be signage. I think there's signage already up in most of these intersections. And then they're going to go live with five of those locations today. And I'm thinking, hmm, I guess I should slow down. Like, which cameras are these? Is there one on my way to work? Which makes you think twice, which is exactly the intention of having a program like this, making you change your driving habits. So for our hot question of the day today, that's what we want to know. Will you change your driving behavior because of these cameras going live in some locations? We want to know, yes, no, like, yes, of course I will because I hate getting tickets or no, do you think I'm a safe driver? I don't do this anyway. Yeah, but all you need to do is do it once, right? In the wrong intersection and they got you on this thing. Uh, Cast your vote here. You can email me, simi at cknw.com. I'm of the belief that, you know, people running red lights and speeding through intersections, that it's become like an epidemic. It's become so common to see a light turn red and to still see a car or two go through that it's inevitable, right? That we have to do this to make people pay attention to the actual signage there and to stop when they are supposed to stop. So we want to know, will you change your driving behavior uh, because of these cameras? Yeah, you hate tickets, so you're definitely going to do that. Or no, you don't think this is a problem because you're a safe driver anyway. Simi Sarah 980 or at CKNW online is where you can vote. You can also email me, simi at cknw.com or call our buzz line 604-331-BUZZ-331-2899. Officers search the the York Landing area throughout the night and continue their efforts today. The Royal Canadian Air Force is also assisting today with the search. Our officers are on on the ground, have not made contact with the individuals, and so we are not yet in a position to confirm that these are the wanted suspects. It's Corporal Julie Crochet from Manitoba RCMP with an update about an hour ago on the latest situation involving the manhunt for the two suspects, Byer Schmigelski and Cam McLeod. I'll be honest with you, I didn't think we were going to be here at this point on a Monday morning. I thought this would have wrapped up on the weekend or come to some kind of conclusion, and that is not the case. It did take a turn late yesterday when the focus switched to York Landing from Gillum, Manitoba, and we're going to find out more about that. Why that is, joining us now is Clay. Young, our global news reporter from Winnipeg. Clay, thanks very much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, so what happened last night to so dramatically change everything? Well, I'm like you. I thought this was going to be over. It just doesn't seem to end. Uh, A lot of new developments uh, quickly transpired uh, yesterday afternoon. This was about uh, 5 o'clock Winnipeg time. Now, some members of Winnipeg's Bear Clan uh, patrol uh, were sent up to northern Manitoba. This would this would have been on Saturday, um, and I spoke with the the leader of the Bear Clan Saturday night. His name is James Fable. Now he was approached by some chiefs in in northern Manitoba, who said, "Hey, listen, can you send some members up here? Uh, we got this heavy RCMP presence uh, presence in Gillum, and uh, they're about to do some door to door searches." Now, the Bear Clan, is uh, its members are mainly Indigenous. 
They're volunteers. Uh, they do great work in, in Winnipeg. Uh, they patrol the north end. And uh, some members went up there, and uh, as the RCMP were knocking on doors, you know, the, the police were saying, you, you mind if we maybe come in and just kind of look around? The Bear Clan is there as, as goodwill ambassadors, and they say, hey, folks, everything's cool. Just let them come right. in and look around, right? So uh, they were also sent to any nearby communities. York Landing is a nearby community uh, near Gillum. Two members went up there, and as they were sort of getting the, the lay of the land, uh, they traveled around, and they came upon the dump, the local dump. And that's where they say that they saw two tall individuals kind of going through the dumps, scouring, I guess, looking for something. They noticed that they had now been spotted by some Bear Clan patrol members, and they quickly went right into the bush. Uh, these two members then contacted Mr. Fable, uh, their leader, who contacted the RCMP, who immediately dispatched a, a contingent of the big force they have in Gillum over to uh, York Landing. Uh, York Landing is only accessible uh, by ferry or air, but we looked at the map, and there are some trails that will lead up from Gillum into York Landing. Right. So it, it is very plausible. The last known sighting was in Gillum, but that was about a week ago. So, you know, we, we looked at the map, and there's, there's some places you can get some water, little creeks. You know, the, we're thinking, okay, they could eat berries. So, so the police just held a news conference uh, about an hour ago here in Winnipeg where they said uh, they deployed uh, multiple... Uh, resources to York Landing, but they added that officers that are now on the ground have not been able to make any contact with these two individuals, um, and as such, the RCMP are yet in any position to confirm that these are the wanted suspects. Right. How much so, bigger, Clay, is the search now than, say, it was uh, last week? Because I understand the military is now also involved. Yeah, uh, the uh, the RCMP did request some help from Canadian forces, armed forces, and uh, just the other day they set up uh, a Herc, big Hercules plane from uh, CFP Winnipeg. This has got all kinds of high tech equipment on board. It's used for search and rescue. Um, you know, they've got the dogs up there now in both communities, and the the question is how. We're not saying that these two are mountain men by any stretch, but they sure seem to be able to to survive in the bush, mm. which, you know, we're talking well over a week now. And, and everybody you know, kept I saying that read, wasn't possible, right? Everybody kept saying, oh, the bush is so thick and it's not possible, and yet here we are a week later. Yeah. And, you know, I did read that uh, one or two of them does have some camouflage training. Maybe uh, they, they do... Uh, one of two of them may have uh, taken a survival course, you know, how to survive in the wilderness, but it's almost baffling that they've been able to elude yeah. such a professional uh, prof police force that, that has been deployed and has been up there for several days. Yeah, lots of questions about that. So th do you think that this clay is just resulting in more of these communities up north just really being quite tense? These are not places that are used to locking their doors, and now they're being told to stay inside and lock their doors. 
I uh, I interviewed the uh, yesterday morning uh, on the morning show here, uh, the Sunday edition, the, the mayor of Gillum, and he admitted that he has not had many sleepless nights. Sound a little frazzled the night the day before I interviewed the deputy mayor, and he pretty much echoed it. He said, "You know, we're we're not used to having such a huge police presence, media mm-hmm. from all over the country, maybe even some international media." He says. I've been getting calls from Australia. I got a call just the, just a little while ago from Atlanta, Georgia, and the the uh, chief of the York Landing uh, community just sent out something that he said his residents um, are sort of living in a state of fear. Yeah. So, you know this this uh, this situation is is just changing rapidly, yeah. and everyone thinks that well they should have been caught by now, as you mentioned. And I said just yesterday, well, it could be all over by today, but it just keeps going. It does keep going. All right, Clay, thanks so much for the update. You bet. Thank you. That's Clay Young, Global News reporter in Winnipeg, following along on this story. Lots of coverage from Global in Manitoba on this. We are updating you on the situation with this manhunt that has now shifted focus from Gillum, Manitoba. We talked about Gillum, it seems like, every day last week. And now it's changed to York Landing, which is about 200 kilometers to the south and west of Gillum. We thought Gillum was small, 1,200 people. York Landing is even smaller and not easily accessible at all. No major road or anything like that that is going to and from York Landing. And the reason why the search has changed to focus on that particular area is that Manitoba RCMP received a tip on Sunday that the two suspects here, Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski, were seen around the garbage dump in that community. They were seen by a group that calls itself the Bear Clan Patrol. I kept seeing that name, right, in the news yesterday. And so I looked it up, and then we just spoke to Clay Young from Winnipeg as well, who described this group to us. It's kind of a a community watchdog group uh, formed by Indigenous people in Winnipeg in in light of um, high crime in certain areas, in light of, as Claire Allen was telling us, the Tina Fontaine murder, to just kind of, you know, wander in communities, make sure people feel safe, make sure everything is okay. They were asked by some of the leaders of the small First Nations in Northern Manitoba to essentially come up and provide some help, come out of Winnipeg. Normally they do their work in Winnipeg, but they were asked to come up on the weekend because of the pretty intense, I would say, RCMP presence, which is what we were seeing in Gillum uh, last week. And so some of these groups did. One of them, uh, several of them actually were in York Landing, doing some work there, patrolling around. They are the ones who um, actually saw this or think that they saw the suspects. Now, in their press conference earlier, Manitoba RCMP did say they have not been able to confirm that definitively, that these were actually actually the suspects. The description matched. Uh, Certainly the members of the Bear Clan Patrol believe that is what they saw, uh, but RCMP is saying that it's a very credible tip, and so therefore they are following it up with a pretty heavy presence there. But let's talk to someone who was right there when this happened. Joining us now is Travis Bigetti, who's one of the Bear Clan coordinators, uh, was in York Landing yesterday when this happened and made the sighting. Travis, thank you very much for joining us. Hello. Can you tell me what happened? What were you doing yesterday? Uh, so we're actually just um, doing a patrol in the vehicle. The community is actually very small, so we can cover it in just about 20 minutes. And we're actually near kind of like what's considered like the edge of the community to where they have their sewage, their garbage dumps, their scrapyards, um, docking area. 
And so there's kind of like a point where no one crosses because there are bears in the territory and there's a safety concern. Right. And just, um, we actually went to the edge of the community and we're coming, making our way back to where we've seen two individuals that match the descriptions of the BC suspects. And so kind of like stopped at first, we kind of thought that we, they were construction workers kind of, um, doing a routine check with their sewage, but we didn't see the vehicle. So we kind of like stopped and turned around and then we kind of checked the area that we seen them in, but it was actually very like dense forest. So you can actually can't go in too deep. Mm-hmm. Without, so yeah, what, what were they, risk. Yeah, what were they doing? Like, was there anything that seemed suspicious? Like what made you think, okay, this might be the people we're looking for? Um, just the fact that they, as soon as like kind of the vehicle was approaching, they were kind of like, scuffling off so they look like they were scrounging around and when they seen the vehicle approaching it took them like a few moments to like stumble for a few steps and kind of like jog to the woods and it didn't seem like they were running they seemed like they were just like fatigued and slowly moving right but they left right away when they saw the vehicle coming yeah and what about the description? Would you say, like, did you know, like, the, did you see the picture of the suspects? Did you think... We've seen the pictures. We were uh, talking to communities, kind of like going door to door, kind of like letting them know, like, this is how the suspects look. It is um, an indigenous community, very isolated, so it's less than 200 people, so everyone kind of knows each other. Yeah. And just the description kind of, like, fit the two individuals, so that's where it kind of, like, you know, I was talking to the other member that seen it, and it's like, did you just see what I just seen? And so it was kind of like, it started to, like, kick in that they might be the individuals that were being searched for. Travis, that, might be, that must be pretty scary for the people who live in York Landing. Even, like, because York Landing is um, a few, uh, I believe, like maybe 100 kilometers away from Gillum, but... It's actually closer by um, kind of like the trap planes and kind of like the fishing trails. And so community members who know the area know how close Fox Lake and Gillum is to their own community. And even then, like that first week, the reason, the initial reason Bear Clan was brought out was just to ensure the safety of people and just to talk with them about their fear and anxiety, saying that, you know, the first night it was reported, like, people weren't sleeping. They're locking their doors for the first time ever and checking their windows. Yeah. What are they saying to you when you're going in to talk to people and reassure them? What, what are they saying to you? Um, they're just thanking us for, like, being there, having, like, a presence, having a presence, knowing who we are. Like, we didn't even talk to people yet, and they were like, oh, we heard that you were coming. Like, we know who you are as a bear fan. Like, we keep seeing you guys, like, on TV and social media, so... We're actually very welcoming into the community. Right. Do they want more, I guess, some reassurance, right? That people, somebody's looking out for them. Yeah. And that's like Bear Clan. We're just, we're volunteer based. We're like citizens ourselves. So it's kind of like, you know, community members supporting community members. Has this changed your patrol? Are you still patrolling or what happens now? We're actually, no, we're still patrolling with kind of like the community members, um, making sure residents are um, safe and kind of like letting ourselves be seen. Everyone kind of wants to check in and be updated. A lot of rumors, unfortunately, going around. And so people just wanting that 
those patrols to come around. The RCMP are busy with the search kind of like um, near the woods, so there's not a lot of presence within the community. Right. So have you talked and, to people about the rumors? Because like, police have mentioned that as well, right? They're just, obviously that comes from a place of fear. People are scared. Yeah. And so just kind of like, you know, the RCMP are very well trained. They know what they're doing. And so let them deal with the situation. And, you know, just trying to like talk to them, just like, you know what, just wait it out, you know what, be alert, take your precautions, but, you know, don't listen to everything that you hear. So then what now for uh, your patrol then? Are you staying in that particular area? We were actually supposed to leave last night, but then after all this um, new development, none of the Bear Clan members want to leave. And we kind of like just took a vote amongst ourselves and everyone's like in agreement, like we want to stay, we want to patrol. Yeah, this has also given Bear Clan a lot more publicity as well. You think that's a good thing? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like showing that it's like, you know what, a community member can make a change. Well, Travis, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us the story. Okay, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. That's right. Travis Bigotty, who's a Bear Clan coordinator with Bear Clan Patrol. He, as you heard him just tell the story there, actually made the sighting yesterday that led for this change in the search to come to York Landing and away from Gillum. You may remember all the controversy, right, over how it impacted businesses along Camby Street. Some of those businesses ended up suing TransLink, saying the construction put them out of business. And yeah, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of coverage about that at the time. All you have to do is look at what neighborhoods were like before SkyTrain arrived and what they were like after to know that there's always a big change and a big adjustment during the whole construction phase. All eyes now are turning to some neighborhoods in Surrey because of what we have seen in the past. And there's concern that between 60 to 80 businesses along Fraser Highway in Surrey could definitely be impacted if and when SkyTrain construction begins. And we're talking about the area from about 152nd to 166th, where, as we heard, that is where uh, SkyTrain will end with the amount of funding that they've got right now. The Fleetwood Business Improvement Association Executive Director, Dean Barber, is the one who's raising concern about this. And he joins us now to talk more about that. Dean, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Jimmy. Thank you for having me. What what kind of impact do you think we're talking about here? Like we know construction always causes some problems, but what do you yeah. think could happen? Well, I think you have to look at it from a macro level. And this is what I was telling Janet. It's, and for the listeners out there, I think what you need to do is you need to to understand this is go to the Surrey, City of Surrey website, look at Cosmos, which is a basically it's... Um, a mapping system that shows satellite images of the region of the area of Fleetwood. And you have to look at that and you say, okay, whether it's LRT, whether it's SkyTrain, there's going to be impacts. In our situation, every business, because we represent all the businesses along Fraser Highway, every business will be impacted in one form or another during the construction of either technology. So we've been saying that to the businesses to beware. Mm-hmm. In terms of SkyTrain, what changes in, in this situation is that when you have massive uh, transportation infrastructure development, you need footprints. And if you look at, if you go west to east and you look at uh, 152, for example, two, basically one half of that intersection, probably the northwest and the southeast, southeast uh, side of that intersection, has to come down to, to build a station and to build a park and ride system for 152. On that corner, that, that, that west side there, you're looking at about 40 plus businesses, small, all small businesses who would then have to 
look at moving, closing. And if they move, our vacancy rate in Fleetwood is pretty much non-existent with no new retail and commercial development coming. Right. So, so that's, in the grand scheme of things, those are, those are gone. Right. I, I guess what I was thinking of too, Dean, is that normally with a SkyTrain line, like even the Broadway one that they're talking about, or, or you have years to think about the impact, about buying up properties, about doing all that. This is a much more accelerated timeline. Correct. And with that, we've already seen speculation happening within Fleetwood. There was a lot of discussion six, seven months ago. Developers were approaching us and, and approaching the Fleetwood Community Association about rumors they'd heard about land use on 156 Avenue, that there was going to be a station there. And, and people selling property were saying that it was going to get rezoned. Well, the land use strategy and the town centre planning hasn't been done yet. So everything is accelerated. In, in some situations, the, the cart is you know a mile ahead of the horse. And so there's very there's a lot of concerns around that as well. Okay, so then what does this mean for businesses there? Like, what what are you telling them to do? What should they be doing? Well, we've already heard from the town hall meetings that we were having into last year, but prior to the election, that some businesses were just going to wait it out and see what what happens, and you know until 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 a shovel hits the ground, um, they'll they'll be waiting for that. Unfortunately, that might be a little bit too late. Uh, but what we're hearing, we've heard of some people say they're just going to move their businesses to South Surrey or they're going to move closer to Guilford. Because we're in a unique area of Fleetwood, we're actually in the retail catchment area of, 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 of Guilford. So um, for people that think, well, these stations are going to come in and it's going to drive more retail to it, it's not going to happen because none of those businesses in Guilford are going to be coming to Fleetwood. So this is going to be a net loss right. of businesses. It's not going to be a net increase. But Dean, is there anything that can be done? Because obviously construction is a fact of life when it comes to building. Building SkyTrain, people in Surrey have spoken. They want this. So, what can we? What can businesses do? What can be done to mitigate this? Well, for, like I said, for some of the businesses, they're not going to have a choice. They will close. Uh, and for other businesses, they're going to have to move. The challenge that they're going to have is where are they going to move? And as you well know, cost of moving, cost of yeah. leasing and renting is more and more. Some of these people are in incredibly good, very positive lease agreements because the property owners are in very good, a very good space financially and, and the rents aren't increasing. Some of the new properties, and there's only one new property, actually two new properties that have been built that are uh, retail slash commercial based, uh, the rents are extremely high. So if you're a family business been around 40 years, um, highly unlikely you can afford two, three times the rent and still keep your abilities to employ people and to and do your job. And have you heard from the city of Surrey on any of this? Like, are they making any preparations to help businesses along that corridor? I think it'll be coming, and I think with with our meetings with TransLink, I think people are well aware of what happened with the Camby line. Oh, I was yeah. a part of that. Pro- I was a part of that process, representing small businesses at that time. And I think that TransLink and and the city of Surrey have, have learned in that process not to maybe make the same mistakes twice. But in terms of mitigating um, mitigating any challenges or damages, I mean, night construction could be an option, so you're not affecting the you know the the roads during the during the busy commuter days or times. I mean, there's lots of things that can be done, but the, the reality is when you're eliminating sections of intersections to build infrastructure, that's not, that's not going to be repurposed. It's just going to be a SkyTrain station. It's, it's a net loss, and we believe that it could be as high as 80 businesses um, as development happens. And we also believe that with that push, those businesses could force the rent hikes in other, in other, in other malls, which could, those businesses could then um, move out, and, and they can leave or close with, for these other businesses to move in. So it's a domino right. effect. But we we are we're three hundred and twenty five businesses plus right now. We could be down to two hundred and twenty five in in five years. Right, and as we know, SkyTrain brings with it many many changes. 
rates. So this it sounds like that whole area can expect a, a huge change in the next five to 10 years. You know, absolutely. And I think we've had discussions with the community association about what we can do to be a part of the process, uh, part of the process. Um, we've in the past have worked with developers to ask them, particularly in the middle of this whole area there, there's the large mobile home park that's being redeveloped. We've asked for mixed use on Fraser Highway. Of course, that's not being approved by, by the developers, but we're actively out there trying to work with people. And if, if cha- as challenges arise, we'll deal with them as best we can. All right, Dean, thank you very much. Thank you again, Simi. That's Dean Barber, Executive Director with the Fleetwood Business Improvement Association. The eyes of the nation still remain on the manhunt that is going on in Manitoba, waiting to find out if the suspects are going to be caught and just waiting to get more answers, right? So many whys involved in this. Why did this happen? Why did the police get to this point where they believe these two people did this? Like, what got us to this point? 18 and 19 years old. That's how old these suspects are. So as we get kind of a little bit more of that information, also, I think people want to know, like, what can we learn from this, right? What about support and intervention for children and teens whose habits and interests might raise a bit of a red flag sometimes. Uh, That's one of the reasons why the mayor of Port Alberni has been saying that, you know, Port Alberni is reeling from this. That's where these two suspects are uh, from. The community there is really trying to come to terms with the people that they knew, what happened, were there signs, what, what could they have done differently? Well, that's something that a youth worker in Langley has also been thinking about. His name is Danny Ferguson. He's the area director in Langley for the Greater Vancouver Youth Unlimited and Danny joins us now. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And I know this story has been on your mind, Danny. Why is that? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's been on the mind of lots of people across the community, as you said, trying to figure out the answers why, and it seems so unbelievable that something like this would happen in Canada. But also because, I mean, I don't know these two young guys individually, but when I was looking at their faces, they just remind me so much of the young people that I interact with on a daily basis that my heart just grieved for them and for their families and the things that everyone must be going through, whether they're victims or the, or the perpetrators in their families. Right. I know when something like this happens, there's always that why, right? Did anybody see anything? Did anybody know anything? What were the signs? Uh, and that's obviously where youth workers like you come in. That's right. Yeah, we uh, we ask ourselves those same types of questions. And unfortunately, we can't always uh, figure that out until it's too late. But hopefully, in situations like this, we can learn from these situations and apply them into future ones, so that we can, you know, help prevent these things from happening again. Is it difficult to have that conversation? Like, how how do you know when to approach a young person and get involved? It's about being involved all the time and in the places where they are where they're spending their time and that's what youth workers do we go right into the community we partner in schools we're there you know day in and day out and we're willing to have the awkward conversations and we're willing just to have the fun conversations and to be in a trusted adult that's present in their everyday life from the outside it can look like youth workers are just you know having a good time and playing video games or playing catch in the park But you never know at what moment in those conversations that it's going to turn to something that's critical and important. And, you know, I don't know at what point, you know, a minor little comment of mine has influenced or changed someone's whole career or life path. But I'm pretty confident that that's happened on a regular basis. 
You said that sometimes there's awkward conversations. Like what? In what way? Uh, well, as an example, there was uh, some young people I was having lunch with at Tim Hortons one day, and they mentioned that they were going to go spend some time with someone they had met on the internet. And so I just asked, well, how old is he and what does he do? And he's a 26-year-old and he doesn't work. And so I'm like, and you're just going over to his house in the middle of the day. Do yeah. your parents know about this? Um, you know, and realizing that there was actually some potential danger there that a peer might not understand. Um, and it turned out that um, this was someone that was uh, operating a recruitment scheme into the sex trafficking so I was really glad that I was able to make that comment on that day. Yeah, just sometimes, Danny, just all it take is someone to be or an adult to pay attention, to hear that, and to ask questions. Is that sometimes enough? Absolutely. But it's the, about being a, an adult that's present in their life all the time. And there's lots of adults around, but there's very few that have the longevity of relationship. Uh, you know, a coach might be with them for a season, a teacher might be with them for a semester, or, you know, a youth worker um, that comes from certain agencies might work with them on a particular project. But with our particular organization, that's what differentiates us is that we build long-term relationships, you know, from, from the age 10 all the way up to, to 24 and, and really beyond as we, you know, really want to invest long-term with these young people. What advice would you give to parents then or, you know, family friends or older relatives if they think that something needs to be said? Like, what are the signs that you look for? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's just about being intuitive to what the interests are of our young people, which means we need to know them. Uh, We need to know the names of the friends that they're close with. And if they start mentioning different activities and different names uh, or, you know, you see their clothing style change. Uh, you hear their language change. These are just small, minor things, but asking, you know, why or uh, when they pick those things up or who they're hanging out with and those types of things, those just small conversations can lead to really interesting places. Do you think sometimes risky behavior in young people, Danny, happens because they think nobody's paying attention? Absolutely, it can. I mean, I don't know what it is for these particular young people that are going through, but yeah, there is all sorts of people that, uh, you know, like young people that really want to know that they're noticed. And if they're not noticed, they just start making louder and louder noises until they know someone is going to be there. And you, you work with a lot of kids then. Do you notice a big change in them just when somebody is paying attention? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely. They need to know that there's someone that they can reach out to. Even just last night, I got a message on Facebook from a former youth who's now 28, and he is homeless living out of his car somewhere in Okanagan. And he said, I don't know who else to turn to, but I remember you were always there for me in high school. So this is the reality of it. That's a pretty harsh reality then. Do you get messages like that fairly often? All the time, yeah. Oh, Danny, that is some tough work that you do. But listen, thank you for telling us about it and sharing those stories with us. Oh, thank you very much for taking notice. Uh, it's, uh, prevention is such a huge thing because by the time it, it blow, blows up, oftentimes it's too late. And so investing in youth work and investing in that, that fun and that social stuff and, yeah. and making sure that the youth are going to have the means to live a healthy life. It's good advice. Danny, thank you. Thank you so much.
That is Danny Ferguson, the area director in Langley for the Greater Vancouver Youth Unlimited, talking about the work that he does with young people and trying to notice when the signs are there, if something has gone wrong. Let's talk about online fraud, you know, cybercrime, that stuff that we get warned about over and over and over again. I think there's this perception out there that a lot of older people fall for those online scams, right? But it turns out, according to some new statistics gathered from the Vancouver Police Department, that is not the case at all. So let's find out what they discovered. Sergeant Jason Robillard joins us now from the Vancouver Police Department. Thank you very much for being here. Hi, Simi. How are you doing? I am good, thank you. I have to say, I'm a bit uh, surprised by the stats that you guys found. Yeah, I have to say, I kind of was as well. But when we looked at the stats, um, you know, we we wanted to get the message and the awareness out there that it's it's not what you think. Um, where we noticed a big uptake here, in that almost half of the percentage of cybercrime victims were millennials, and that's you know ages nineteen to thirty-five. Okay, so what do you guys define as cybercrime? Well, cybercrime is basically something that's online that targets you for information or it's an actual fraud uh, where they target you online, either through your phone or through an email. Um, It could be through a phone call as well, Um, but anything that you have to give your information uh, through um, any one of those devices uh, sort of online. So that's where we're noticing the uptake. Um, We also had and, and listed some of our most common uh, frauds that we've seen here. We've also put in our our, our latest uh, media release here last week. Um, so those are all available to you online, and we just wanted to get the message out there and bring awareness to this. Yeah, are you seeing an increase in cyber crimes? Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this, um, we're always seeing uh, different types of cyber crimes. So where there's a will, there's a way. And um, you know, we're calling them sophisticated fraudsters. So if there's a way that we're aware of now and, and people are, are kind of um, hip to what's going on, they'll change their ways. So they're always changing it. There's always going to be cyber crime. There's always going to be frauds. So we need to stay on top of it. And the biggest uh, key here is awareness, making sure people are aware. Yeah, let's break down then the numbers, the age groups of the people who were impacted by this. So you had something like what, 1,400 cyber crimes reported last year? Yeah, just over uh, uh, 1,400. Um, of that, when we're looking at the age groups, when we break it down, um, the ages 19 to 25 uh, reported uh, for 260 of them, and ages 26 to 35 for 424. And that was by far uh, the biggest number there, 424, so ages 26 to 35. That was almost uh, just over 30% of the total. I guess what's surprising about that is that we tend to think of people in that age group as being way more savvy about being online. Yeah, you you would think so. And and that's why we had our latest campaign here, uh, Nana Says, which we wanted to bring uh, a bit of awareness to it for for two angles here, that it's not just um, uh, people in a certain uh, elderly uh, age bracket that are being victimized here. It's people that are savvy and do have more experience dealing with um, online types of sales and online types of uh, deals and apps and all kinds of things, but uh, the frauds are happening. Did you just say that you named this uh, Nana Says? Yeah, it's called <laughs> Nana Says. Do you want and people so, to listen to their Nana? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> sort of where we came up with the idea. Um, it's a bit of a, a catchy phrase here, and if you look online, it goes over uh, some of the five, right now anyways, the five top scams that we have are the most common 
scams. And what it is is uh, basically a nano or your grandma uh, texting uh, their millennial grandchild and the back and forth text bringing awareness. They're about 30 seconds uh, each. You can They're all on YouTube. Um, and they, they just go over the top five scams. That is adorable. Well, what are, what is the top two scams, would you say? What are the two biggest ones? I'd say the biggest one is a phishing scam, um, and that's where they're phishing for information to try and get uh, your personal data, your passwords, uh, information, where they're able just to get all that from you through a variety of different ways. I mean, I don't want to nail it down to one, but uh, what we call phishing scams. The second one would be a, a CRA scam, um, and that's where basically still. they're telling you. Yeah, it's, it's still out there, and, and um, you know, I, I don't want to say that it's so obvious and you think, hey, I would never fall for this. But but people do. These are very sophisticated criminals and sophisticated fraudsters. Uh, and they come up with ingenious ways. And some people um, just get caught off guard and um, they think it's uh, it's the real thing, but it's not. We just want you to stop and think. Um, if it's, you know, you know, the number right. one rule, if it's too good to be true, it, it probably is. You know, I also wonder too, older people tend to like watch the news, pay attention to the news, that kind of thing. So maybe they've heard more stories about these things being a scam. Younger people, perhaps a little more naive on that front. Yeah, that's that's definitely, that could be the case. Um, we're not sure, but, you know, just looking at the numbers, there's obviously uh, some awareness that we need to bring to a specific uh, age group here and all the millennials. We just need to get that message out there just to stop, uh, listen to your Nana and listen to uh, the stats. Um, you know, some other big ones that we have noticed, um, online purchases and job opportunities. And, and another one that was sort of surprising is a residential fraud. It's where you think you've secured an apartment for a good price right. um, and you wire the money and it's simply already booked or it doesn't exist um, and your money's gone. So we want to make sure you get the message out there just to hit pause, stop and think it through. That's the problem is that they these scammers also rely on pressure, right? Creating a sense of anxiety that you have to act right now. Exactly. Yeah. So we want you to say hit pause, um, ask somebody, look on our website. Um, if it just does seems odd, it probably is. Uh, the CRA one is they're telling you the police are going to be involved and you're going to be arrested. That would never happen. Um, so we want you to uh, just stop before you send any money and um, look for some tips. You can even call uh, and talk to an officer here. You can talk to somebody else if you know that you trust in your right. family. If it just doesn't seem right. Right. Do you get those kinds of phone calls from people who go, I, I, this happened to me, this seems weird? Not enough, but you know, you know, we have our officers that work in our community uh, uh, police uh, stations, and they're always available for questions like this. Um, we do get calls, and we do have a lot of uh, messages on our social media accounts that we're answering all the time. We have a general inbox for questions. So we do get asked questions, and we're pleased to help. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time on this. You're welcome. That's Sergeant Jason Robillard from the Vancouver Police Department. They released their statistics on cyber crimes. And one a really remarkable stat in there is that the largest age group that is experiencing and reporting the most cyber crime, millennials.